our studies of the Parsha with Rav Moshe Al-Sheikh, known as Al-Sheikh HaKadosh. So I'm really uh, excited about tonight's subject because it is not only, of course, from the Parsha, as we always do, but it happens to be very uh, timely because uh, he has fascinating and really, I find, inspiring material on the subject of the Omer, the mitzvah of the Omer. So let's get right to it. We are looking at chapter 23. Parshish Emor can be found, well, the part we're looking at is on, if you've got the stone chumash, it's uh, page 682. But any chumash you may have, it's Perech Gimel, chapter 23 of Vayikra. And we're looking at Pasuk Yud and the following two or three verses. Daber el lehem, speak to the children of Israel, say to them, When you uh, enter the land that I'm giving you, and you harvest the uh, yield from the, the field, especially, Kitsir refers especially to grain, which is the main uh, sustenance for people in, in the ancient Middle East. You bring the an omer, which is a measure of barley, the early, the first, uh, the first, the early harvest, which is the barley harvest, and you bring it immediately. That is to say, at the very beginning of the harvest, which, as we know, would take place during a Pesach, Matzei Pesach, after the first night of, um, after the first day, the night following the first day of Pesach, they would go out into the field and they would bring an omer of barley. They would bring it rough and ready. The henif es ha omer Hashem, and you shall wave this. A sheath of barley before God, the day after Shabbos, Shabbos here means the first day of Yom Tovah. And you shall bring as well, you shall perform on the day that you wave the Omer, you shall bring a keves tamim ben shnaso, a lamb of a, of a certain age, as a, an all burnt offering. So uh, Al-Sheikh begins with a number of questions of which I want to select two. He says, why does the Torah use the eternal phrase here, I share ani no sein lechem, which I am giving to you. Why doesn't the Torah say, which I shall give to you? Or it could even speak in the past tense, which I have given you. Why does the Torah refer to the gift of the land of Israel? Because it says it's a gift, I share ani no sein, I share ani no sein lechem, why is it expressed in the in the um, present as if it's an ongoing gift? And then he wants to know why does it say Take another look, please, at pasuk uh, base, and I can tell you that this is a pasuk that I had never previously considered to be uh, 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 demanding careful scrutiny. But that's because of my ignorance. Why, he asks, why does the Torah say that the keves, the lamb, the sheep should be brought on the day of waving the omer? Why does the Torah make the um, uh, few liters of barley the principal event? And it says, and on that day, you should also bring an offering, an all burnt offering. We would have thought that the significance of the of the keves of this lamb is going to be more important than the the um, 
waving the sheaf of barley. Or at least to say on the on the date referred to the day. What does the Torah say on that? Uh, 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 when you wave the barley, you also bring a lamb. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he says the following. He uh, uses the expression. There is nothing that raises a person's heart and causes him to celebrate. Uh, but here, Maholel is like to be uh, like uh, indulgent and to think of himself as um, at the top of the world, and leads them to sin as the abundance of plenty, affluence and prosperity is can be a factor that leads a person to sin, make him, makes him feel invulnerable, important, that is to say self-important. Uh, he doesn't need like, uh, you know, people who are rich, they don't need God because they've got what they need. If you're poor, then you need God. If you're rich, you don't need God. And he quotes the Pasuk, as the Pasuk says in Ha'azinu, Vayishman Yishurun Vayiv'at, Yishurun waxed fat and kicked. The rejection or the spurning, the, the um, like uh, feeling of the uh, self-sufficiency and the, the sense of a person not needing God can often be the consequence of material success and prosperity. So therefore, the Torah says, when you come to the land, and that's he explains that's why the Torah uses the present tense, don't imagine <clears throat> that the, the land that I'm giving you as a gift is a one-off uh, event, and now it's yours definitively and permanently and forevermore. It's not necessarily the case. I am giving you the land, so to speak, day by day. As long as you deserve it, then it's yours. But if at a certain time you are unworthy, undeserving of the land, then he says, At any time that you betray me, that you you uh, uh, depart from, from my service, I can hand over the land to someone else. He says, this is why... Uh, the the Torah emphasizes and take another look at pasuk yud ki when you come to the land and you harvest its crop they vesem es omer reishis sorry let's turn the page the first of the harvest you shall bring to the kohen before you indulge before you uh, experience the satisfaction of consuming the first of the harvest before you fall prey potentially to that sense of self-sufficiency and possibly even rejecting God as a result. Before you do any of that, bring it to the Kohen and let him wave it in all directions, symbolizing your recognition that the bounty, the 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 uh, uh, yield that you are enjoying comes from Hashem. A little bit later on, he speaks about the importance of waving this Omer. The word Omer, as I said before, uh, I said it very briefly, is a few liters. It's about uh, roughly three liters. It is a dry measure. The word Omer also means a sheath, a sheath, uh, like a um, a bundle of grain. 
the stalks of barley uh, would be harvested with a sickle or a scythe, and they would be uh, collected together in a, in a bundle. That's what the word omer means, but the word omer also refers to a certain measure. And it's interesting and maybe ironic that the Torah says again, es ha-omer. the word omer, as I said, doesn't even describe really exactly what it was they were waving. They were waving barley. And even to this day, we speak of Sviras Ha'omer, even though we don't have the Omer offering, we haven't had for a long, long time, but we speak about it as Sviras Ha'omer because the Torah says, Usfartem Lachem, you shall count from that day, 49 days, and then you shall bring a new offering. We'll talk about that shortly as well. So, what is the significance of this word Omer? So, um, Al Sheikh. As a beautiful drash, I found this so uh, um, clever, so creative. He says that when a person begins to harvest his crop, so he harvests the barley. And the barley is the uh, um, grain that ripens earlier, earlier than the wheat. And it ripens at the very beginning of the season. And that's when he harvests. And he observes that man is compared to an aphod. Now, an ephah is also a measure of volume. The Torah says how much an omer is not here, but the Torah elsewhere regarding the uh, collection of the man. The Torah says, v'ha omer asiris ha'ifahi. An omer is one-tenth of an ephah. So the Al-Sheikh says that man is compared to an ephah. Uh, <clears throat> I'll read you a few, a few words. When man was first created, before he, God even breathed into him the breath of life. So Hashem uh, showed, or maybe after Adam was first created, Hashem allowed him to behold in a vision of the future those who would descend from him, that is to say, all of mankind. And he showed Adam the different perhaps individual, maybe notable individuals who would, so to speak, uh, become associated with the different parts of his body, of his beard, of his hand, of his head. Because that's what Hashem said to Eov, Where were you? Where were you when I created the world? Eov, Job, was complaining to God about the, his misfortune. And God said to Job, by way of reply, where were you when I created the world? In other words, you are just in this world for a short snippet of time, for just a, a very limited window. Your perspective on uh, eternity is uh, infinitesimal. And therefore, you're not in a position to evaluate and to critique and to determine what I should have done or how I should have done it. Where were you when I created the world? And that's actually an extended passage in chapter 38 of Eov. If you want to look it up, it's a very, uh, um, very eloquent, very profound and very stirring passage. That's actually one of the more comprehensible passages in the book of Eov, which is notoriously difficult to read. Chapter 38, the word epho, epho hayisa, where were you, is spelt the same way as the word epha. So the Medrash says, epha shelcha heichan hayisa. Where was your epha? Be'eze eva me'adah harishan hayisa. 
What part of Adam did you occupy? Which limb, which sinew, which even you could say molecule of the of the body of Adam were you? You weren't there altogether, or maybe the Medrash means to say in some case, in some in, in some sense, Eov was. But the point is that we see in this Medrash that the uh, word Afo is is interpreted homiletically as Afa which, as we said, is a certain measure of volume. Eifa hayisa, so man is compared to an eifa. Says Alshif, how much is an omer compared to an eifa? Compared to an eifa, it's one-tenth. So he says, a man has 248 eivarim. Now, the word eivar is sometimes translated as organ or limb or sinews. It's rendered in words. The truth is it means it, it's a... a, a an imprecise term, difficult to associate it with anatomical specificity, what qualifies as an aver, you know, what part of a, the human body can be described as an aver in technical terms. But in the rabbinic usage, we have a tradition of 248 avarim corresponding to the mitzvah sasei of the Torah, as is very well known. It says Al-Sheikh, that if an afa is if man is an eifa and a man has 248 uh, evarim, then a the omer is going to be 25 less a little bit. 248 is like 25, a tenth of 248 is, is 25 less a little bit. So he says that the principal evarim of a person by which he does whatever he does for good or for better in this world, he enumerates them. There are 24 of them. I'll, I'll just to review with you a few of them. He says we have, uh, the, and he says a person has to sanctify, has to refine and uplift and sanctify all of those 248 evarim. Because those are the means by which he uh, acts uh, in life. He says, Hamoach, the first one is the brain. Shnei oznaim, two ears. What does a person hear? What does he listen to? To whom does he hearken? Ushnei einaim, two eyes. What does he use his eyes to see, to observe, to gaze, or to read? Lashon, his tongue. Sfasaim, his lips. Halev, the heart, which is obviously an important and essential organ from an um, uh, anatomical standpoint, from the standpoint of, uh, of life preservation. But also the heart symbolizes the essence of a person, the emotions. So in the rabbinic tradition, we find this in other ancient traditions as well. The kidneys were considered to be the source of advice, of counsel. It's like the, the um, uh, motivation that drives a person, not necessarily uh, through intellect, but uh, maybe through through a more visceral, a more uh, like um, uh, uh, instinctive uh, action, it's associated with the with the clios, the kidneys. Umara hakoeses. This is the uh, spleen, I think. No, the mara is the um, gallbladder, I think, which gets angry. Chol is the spleen hasochek, which laughs. Ushnei raglaim, two uh, feet, two legs. Ve'ese etzvos hayadaim, and ten, five and five, uh, fingers of his hands. Sheheim anche hachayil, those are the foot soldiers of a man. 
because his fingers enable him to do what he does with his hands. Most actions are done. Even you think about typing at a keyboard, which is kind of work that people tend to do today to a great extent. Most of what a person does is with his fingers. How many are there? He says, altogether, if you number the ones that he has enumerated, Hane Esrim Va'arba, 24. Kinegad Masayim Arbim Evarim, corresponding to 240 Evarim. Shehim Ma'aser Shalahem, that's the 10th of the 240. Is these 24 Evarim? What about the 25th? So probably you thought, Varoshagviya, maybe you haven't. Roshagviya, he says, that's a euphemism for the male reproductive organ. It's missing a little bit. It's missing a bit because of the circumcision. So the male organ is missing a small part. So he says that is the 10th of the 248. There are 24 organs that he enumerates. Actually, he says there are 25, but one of them is a bit uh, missing something. So that is exactly ma'aser of the 248. He says this is what the Torah emphasizes the Omer because it's a symbol, symbolically, derech and I think it's a very uh, beautiful drush. It symbolizes a person, the person himself. When he waves the Omer, he's symbolically devoting himself to the service of God, he is elevating himself. He's sanctifying himself. To serve God in that way. He says, this is the symbolism of the Omer, which I have to say, to me, is a really novel idea and a very beautiful idea. The significance of the Omer, the the uh, measure of barley has a significance into itself. It's a tenth of an ephah. A person is compared to an ephah, which again is a, a larger measure. It's about 300 uh, liters approximately. And this uh, omer, therefore, is a way of um, uh, like uh, describing or symbolizing the most essential avarim of a person. Finally, and on this related theme, I want to tell you what he says about a question which you probably have thought of. I have thought of it. I'm sure you have as well. And that is the title of today's shir for those who pay attention to these things. Why is the Torah coy about Shavuos? So in what way is the Torah coy about Shavuos? Well, the answer is very clear. The Torah does not reveal the significance of the festival of Shavuos. The Torah legislates a Yom Tov, on that day, namely seven weeks after the beginning of bringing the Omer, really 50 days, I should say, because the Torah says it's 50 days. On the 50th day, you bring a milchachadasha. But the Torah doesn't say what is the occasion for that chag. And when it comes to Pesach, the Torah says clearly and at length, as everyone knows. When it comes to Sukkot, though it doesn't commemorate a particular event that happened on those day, on that day or days of the year, but of course the Torah does say that this the festival of Sukkot uh, recalls the fact that Hashem protected us when we were in the Midbar. Uh, similarly, uh, Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the year, so it's called Rosh Hashanah, uh, the day of Torah uh, Yom HaZikaron, when we look back on the year, etc., uh, Yom Kippur, although the Torah doesn't emphasize it, but we do know that Yom Kippur is the uh, the day when Hashem uh, 
like uh, completed the process of forgiving the Jewish people when Moshe came down from the mountain uh, the second time of the second Luchos. But with regard to the bringing of the uh, of, of Shavuos, the Torah only says it's 50 days after you brought the Omer. It doesn't say why. Of course, we know, and a careful reading of the Torah makes it clear that this was the day of giving the Torah, but why doesn't the Torah say so? So Al Sheikh says, I've seen some who asked, the Torah doesn't say why there is such a thing as Chag HaShavuos. As we have with the other festivals. And in the Tefillah, so the sages ordained that we say, Yo Matan We're not um, uh, reticent in the Tefillah. We say exactly what it is. Why is this not mentioned in the Torah? So then he answered for the question, why does the Torah say, on the 50th day, you bring mincha chadasha, a new offering? Okay, it's a new offering because it's from the new harvest. It's from the wheat harvest. And that's a new harvest because the barley harvest has been around for a couple of months. The wheat harvest is a new, it's it's only available, it only ripens later in the season. Mincha chadasha. But he asks, why does the Torah call this korban uniquely mincha chadasha, new offering to God? It come, comes a good few weeks after the Omer, after the Omer of the, the barley offering, and that is not called mincha chadasha. I mean, that is newer than the, if you're talking about a new offering for the spring season, so the wheat offering on Shavuos is really not completely new. It's just coming in the wake, it's coming uh, in the in the train of the barley offering. And that's not called Mincha Chadasha, and this one is called Mincha Chadasha. So, he first, like, sharpens the question, excuse me, the question that he um, began with about why does the Torah not say that Shavuos celebrates the giving of the Torah by reminding us the significance, not that we need reminding, the significance of Matan Torah. It's a, a um, occasion where Hashem revealed himself to all of the Jewish people, uh, to the, the, the vast numbers, the entire Jewish people. Hashem gave us the Torah. The Torah is eternal. The Jewish people became an eternal nation when they received the Torah. Not only that, but it says in Masibereshis, we repeat it every <clears throat> me, every Friday night in Kiddush. It was evening, it was morning, the sixth day. But the Torah doesn't say Yom Shishi. The Torah says Yom Hashishi. And Rashi there, it's comes from the Gemara in, in Shabbos, Rashi on Bereshi says, Yom Hashishi, the sixth day, the world was completed on the sixth day, the sixth of Sivan, which took place thousands of years later. Because until then, the whole world was only, let's say, tentative. Hashem fashioned the world and life was unfolding in all of its complexity and drama for thousands of years. But it was all conditional. Rashi says, it's all dependent on the sixth day, the sixth of Sivan, Matan Torah. So if Matan Torah is so important, which again, we don't really need anyone to prove that to us, 
why does the Torah not say that on the sixth day of the third month, the day when I gave you the Torah, that should be a Chag? I'll even read you a few words. He says, uh, uh, on the third month, on the sixth of the month, when I gave you the Torah, that's a festival to God. If the Torah had said that, the Jewish people would be very uncomfortable to read such a verse in the Torah because of the dark shadow of the Chet Ha'ega, which cast a pall over those events. He says, How can we celebrate and rejoice in the festival of God because when the king was at the party, we transformed to mourning our celebration. Because of the chet ha'egel, because of the sin of the golden calf. Says Al-Sheikh, that is the reason why the Torah doesn't say that Shavuos is celebrated to recall and to mark the great day of Matan Torah, because the great day of Matan Torah was tarnished, was uh, became so uh, badly undermined by the fact that we committed the Chet HaEgel only a few weeks later, 40 days later. And really, I mean, by the time we actually received the Torah, when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from our Sinai, that's when the Chet HaEgel took place. So though we heard, we, let's say, formally accepted the Torah on the 6th of Sivan, but by the time we actually got it, well, the Jewish people already committed the terrible Chet HaEgel. He says more, though. He says that through the Chet HaEgel, so our uh, joy was turned to grief. And he says that's why the whole emphasis of Chag HaShavuos, even the name Shavuos means weeks. It's called the Feast of Weeks. In fact, in uh, the Greek uh, translation, it's called Pentecost. Pentecost, Pente is 50, Pentecost, it's the 50th day. The Torah doesn't even identify what happened on the calendar. The Torah identifies it, as you know very well, in terms of its distance from or proximity to Pesach, 50 days after Pesach. The whole emphasis is on uh, seven weeks and Sheva Shabbosos Timimos Tihiena, says the uh, Al-Sheikh. The 49 days, those seven weeks, are counted from Maharas HaShabbos. What does that day represent? It represents, of course, when the Jewish people first left Mitzrayim. So he says, when we were in Mitzrayim, we had descended to the lowest level of depravity, of impurity, of degradation, as is well known, the 49th rungs of, of uh, contamination, spiritual stupor. And if, for those who remember when we spoke about uh, Pesach time and even before that, when in the, the early parshas of Shmos, Al-Sheikh emphasizes that the Jewish people uh, with the Korban Pesach, for example, the Korban Pesach wasn't only the idol of the Egyptians, it was our idol as well. The Jewish people also worshipped the, the lamb. And when we took it and slaughtered it, that was a great act of spiritual... Um, courage and spiritual accomplishment in terms of our own tshuva process of ridding ourselves of the idolatry. 
says Al-Sheikh that when Hashem reached into Mitzrayim and redeemed the Jewish people, we began our journey of distancing ourselves from idolatry. That's when we began the journey. Day by day, week by week, we ascended and we uh, experienced the rehabilitative potential of a person or even a nation who has descended to the depths and then climbs up rung by rung. He says that the seven weeks are a metaphor for the seven days that a nida counts. He says the reason that the Torah says that we like uh, recovered from or we cleansed ourselves or we, we cast away the idolatry through the mitzvah of the dam, the blood of the Pesach and the dam of Mila, it's a metaphor for the dam nida. It's a metaphor for the, the uh, menstrual blood of a woman who experiences her monthly period. And then there's a process of purification. So a woman uh, counts seven clean days. The Jewish people had to count seven weeks. The seven weeks are a metaphor for the experience of purification that a person, a woman may undergo in, in the, the course of that process of renewal. The Jewish people were renewed. The Jewish people were uh, uplifted. The Jewish people shook off the shackles of idolatry. And I mean the spiritual, the intellectual shackles as well. But it took them a long time to the ascent to the level when they could receive the Torah. That, says Al-Sheikh, is a paradigm for the potential for rehabilitation. So therefore, the Torah emphasizes a new offering. The reason it's a new offering is when we, when we were in Mitzrayim, we had not even reached the level of an animal because we were idolaters. When we shook off the idolatry, so now we were like an animal, which is which is subject to impurity, which can be a source of impurity. And then day by day, we ascended. So we began with offering the Korban HaOmer, which is barley. And eventually we were prepared. We were, the time was right that we could offer the Mincha Chadashah, the new offering of wheat. And that was brought on, on uh, Shavuos. He says that Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim represents the Seurim, the, the barley. After 49 days, uh, we were able to bring a new offering and that is the new offering of the people themselves we were renewed so rather than highlight receiving the Torah which we recall with a bittersweet recollection the national recollection because of the shadow of the Chet HaEgel the Torah rather says emphasizes the growth the process of of uh, um personal elevation and achievement. And this is what Shavuos is all about. And this is what we remember. This is what on Shavuos, and this is what you count towards uh, day by day and week by week in the in the uh, days of the Omer. So just to summarize, we spoke about Asha Anino saying that I'm giving you, it's not necessarily permanent. If the Jewish people are unworthy, then it can go to someone else. And therefore the Torah says, bring the, the uh, Omer Initially, before you become full of your own prosperity and your sense of uh, invulnerability that can come with, with wealth. 
uh, we spoke about the significance of the omer, the word omer, which is a tenth of an eifa. And we had that beautiful drash. If a person is compared to an eifa who has 200 and a person has 248 evarim, so the omer is one tenth of that. And he enumerates those most important evarim, including the one which is slightly um, diminished. And that is the 24.8 evarim uh, that... Uh, are symbolized by the Omer. And then finally, the Torah doesn't say that Shavuos is to celebrate Matan Torah. It is, but the Torah doesn't say it explicitly because the Torah is focusing rather on the potential for rehabilitation. Just as we were rehabilitated from the idolatry and the depravity of Mitzrayim, so can the Jewish people also shake off the influence of the Chet HaEgel. And in this way, we are worthy truly of receiving the Torah and celebrating receiving the Torah when we get there in a few weeks' time. So thank you very much for listening. And um, again, I apologize for last week. Hopefully we're back on track. And uh, thank you again to Paul for hosting us, as he always does. Shabbat Shalom Lekulam. We're having Coronation Shabbos, uh, Coronation Kiddush, at Keshet the Shabbos. We're having a Dvar Torah in praise of anarchy, in honor of the Coronation. And we are also having Pirkei Avos. And we are, um, we are, uh, Ruthie says, I should call it The King and I, which, okay, it's a nice title. It's good for a, uh, for a musical. But it's also a bit related to this year. And we're doing flower power for Pirkei Avos at 7 o'clock, rather 7.15. And lastly, we're doing the Bride Lag Bohemer Barbecue as well on Tuesday. Please let us know that you'd like to come through our website. And we look forward to seeing you. Uh, Shabbat Shalom Lekulam. Thank you very much. Very interesting share by Simon. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you, Lanito. Thank you, thank you.